As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome back, everybody. It's Arthur Staple. You're listening to No Sleep Till Belmont, the Islanders podcast from The Athletic, joined by perhaps the busiest hockey analyst on TV today, AJ Maletsko, who if you've watched a second of NHL or women's hockey at the amateur or pro level, you've probably heard her speaking. So glad you had some time for us, AJ. How's the busy couple of weeks been? It's been busy. That is true. But you know what? I will say that um, I've always loved my job and I found myself pre-COVID sometimes complaining about the travel. But after the lockdown, after the quarantine, last spring, summer, I have learned to appreciate it and it's still challenging. And uh, my children, one of my, my daughter said this morning that I didn't get a vote in something because I was only a partial resident. So that hurt a little bit. <laughs> oh boy. Uh, yeah. So that one, that was a little rough to hear and she was, she was kidding, but it just felt like it had a little, little edge to it. But overall it's been great. I've been really fortunate. The women's NCAAs was last weekend. I got to do that. Um, I have some NWHL coming up Um I've had done some NHL games. And then, of course, with the Great Islanders, had fun last night with their big OT win. So always, always happy when I get to tune into the blue and orange. Yeah, and that's what we're here to talk about. So uh, we'll recap a little bit. I know we we detoured off to the trade deadline and nothing has happened uh, in the week since we broke down what the Islanders' options were. And we'll still talk about them because, like we said, nothing has happened. Really, nothing has happened anywhere around the league. So um We'll we'll try to assess where the Islanders are at, and I think seeing them play against the Flyers um, these last three games, where they took four points and probably should have taken five or six with the comeback they had uh, that fell short in the four three loss uh, last week, um, but kind of on the upswing because Saturday was uh, was a really good game six one, and then uh, not a great game except for anybody not named Ilya Sorokin last <laughs> night, but uh, but two points are two points, and I think. The, the message from that game and maybe from the first two games they had without Anders Lee, which were the 3-2 wins over the Devils uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, where they didn't also look particularly good or consistent, is uh, the Islanders have looked really good at times this year, but you still have to win when you're not looking that good. And they did not look that good last night. No, I agree with that. And I do think, though, that when you take a team like the Islanders, the fact that they've been able to win when they don't look that good, but also win in different ways is encouraging. And and you're right about the comeback win on Thursday, the 4-3 loss to the Philly, uh, the Flyers. 
but at the same time, they really didn't look good for two periods. So, you know, the Flyers, I think, did earn that one um, for the Islanders if they were able to cap that comeback with a with a win or an OT, you know, whatever it may be, get a point out of it at the very least would have been great. Um, I think that the way that they, the fact that you look at these specifically these last three games against the Flyers, <laughs> to me, it was like the tale of three very different teams or very different games, just the way that they showed up. So I, although it's encouraging that they're finding ways to get the two points, I worry a little about the inconsistency, the fact that they can come out on, Thursday and have two sort of anemic periods based on the fact that Philly, you knew they were going to come out hungry after that beatdown they took uh, at the hands of the Rangers, nine, nothing. So, you know, they came out a little lackadaisical and then made a push, but then you look at the dominant first period they played on Saturday and they carried that one through. And then of course, last night, Sorokin was so good in the first period and that just put them in a position. I, I truly expected them to come out in the second period and be amazing to help Sorokin and they weren't, but the fact that Sorokin kept them in that game and kept them competitive throughout was tremendous. I mean, 37 saves, uh, eight straight wins. So the guy's the real deal. Yeah. I think that was the first time we've really seen him steal a point or two. And he, you know, he he's had in this, in that eight game stretch that he's with eight straight wins. I don't think he's faced more than 30 shots. And usually it's, you know, after two periods, I'm always looking it up and saying like, this guy's only seen maybe 10 or 11 shots. And obviously some of those games were Buffalo and New Jersey, and those are teams that are not high-powered offenses. But still, um, it's almost you know you're the you're the mother of a goalie, and we all know goalies <laughs> are a little quirky. But the thing that they like the most is work, and you want to get into the game. You want to feel some some pucks and be able to move around and make some plays. You don't want too much, obviously. It's a fine line. But he was really um, not necessarily getting into games, and also I think it hurt him a little bit because you could see. For Sorokin, he's probably given up one softy on average in each of those games. Uh, and last night, there was nothing bad. You know, I think even the, the the biggest save for me was on that late power play for the Flyers in the third. Uh, Giroud teed one up and Mayfield deflected it, went off his glove, bounced down, was skipping, Oof. went by his pad, and he still caught it. And I think that kind of reaction time and the way he's seeing things now, he's really used to the traffic in front of the net. Yeah, I think I think we're seeing the real deal now, and I think uh, it's got to get everybody really excited. You know, you mentioned that save. It was I agree. I think that was the best save of the night. And I, our, our crew at MSG did a phenomenal job of replaying it and showing the different angles. And obviously, we're taking the the camera feed from Philly, but it was a great angle to see exactly what Sorokin was working with, and the fact that his glove at the last minute shot out and got it. I did also like his uh, save on Nolan Patrick late in the first period. Still a zero zero game. It was a partial breakaway. And it wasn't necessarily his best save from a technical standpoint, but just the timeliness of it was big. And Barry Trotz has talked about that, that, that it's not just the saves that they make, but the where, when they are and the momentum builder, right? So at the end of the period, if they'd given one up there and they go into the locker room down, down by one, uh, I think that's tough. And, you know, these goalies, they do want pucks. And, and you hear some of the guys in the post-game press conference, they're talking about how he's always out in the ice and he's always wanting more shots and more challenges and more compete level and all of those different things. So, you know, he certainly wants that. Um, the Flyers had the first nine shots of the game last night. So he got plenty. He saw plenty of rubber uh, at the other end. Brian Elliott, those, as I'm, you mentioned, I'm a mom of a goalie. Those are the worst games when your kid or when the goalie, your team's goalie is sitting there not seeing any action for long stretches because mentally, I don't know how they stay in the game. Obviously, at the pro level, they have to figure out a way to do it. Um, but for Sorokin, again, uh, he was 
he was really quick. He was really athletic. And you mentioned the traffic in front of him. That's where the question mark was. And he is proving to people that he is ready for it. I want to also touch, you know, Saturday's game was uh, was a really solid one. And I think from an emotional standpoint uh, for the guys on the team, for a lot of people in the organization, fans, even media, for people who have known Thomas Hickey a long time, uh, it was an emotional night to see him out there, you know, to not have played a game in two years. Um, you know, he he ended up he was a starter in the team in uh, in uh, two that, you know, all the way through. The first year, uh, Devon Taves came up when he suffered a concussion midway through 2018-19, and Taves was obviously ready for the NHL and took his spot. And you, you always hear you don't lose your spot because of an injury. Well, that's not true. Sometimes it does happen. Hickey didn't really get back in until late in that season, and then in, uh, briefly in the playoffs, he was out all of 1920 uh, with injuries. Uh, he was you know he'd been sent. He was waived at, at the end of training camp uh, last season. Sent to Bridgeport, was ready to play a full season in Bridgeport whenever they needed him to be ready. And they did need some defensemen because they obviously had some injuries uh, during 1920. Um, but he was hurt the whole time and also dealing with a really difficult family situation. His, his brother was uh, gravely ill with, uh, with brain cancer and ended up passing away a little bit over a year ago, just kind of when the world shut down. And Hickey was actually getting ready to play a game. He was on that trip to Western Canada and ended up having to leave the team before everything shut down to, to go to Calgary, which is where he's from, uh, and still you know, keeps the same attitude. Is a guy that's in- incredibly popular with his teammates. So um, when you see that kind of emotional lift for a guy, and he spoke about it quite plainly after that game, how emotional it was for him, and it must have been the same for, for his teammates and a lot of guys that have been around him a long time. Oh, I mean, what a tough couple of years he's had, as particularly this last year. And, and you know, you think about, we talked a little bit about this, Shannon and I, on the show last night, that, you know, we, we look at this as fans of the game and oftentimes we can get caught up, you know, we got the trade deadline coming up and you can look at it as a business or you can look at it as a sport. And what this is a really poignant reminder of is that these are human beings and the human side of the sport is what makes it special and makes it unique. And it's something that, um, you know, for Barry Trotz, particularly, I love how eloquent he is talking to us, the media. He's very honest. He's very authentic. And he talks about what how great people they have in the locker room. And he said Thomas Hickey is really one of the all-time great human beings and that everybody in the locker room was so happy for him. Not just the two assists. Obviously, it's great to get on the score sheet and see that. But just he played a really, really good game. And you could see he didn't really miss a beat. He was jumping up in the play. He had that. Um, sort of assertiveness that they need on the back end. So, uh, you know, when Noah Dobson comes back, it'll be really interesting to see what Barry Trotz does because I think uh, Thomas Hickey is giving him things to talk to think about. Um, but you and I have talked on this podcast about back to just the hockey side of it, how dangerous or how precarious it feels to me to have just six defensemen for a long time. They were the only team in the NHL that had only dressed six defensemen for every game. Um, so this is a good thing in some ways that there's this is a good problem for a coach to have is to have have some depth at every position looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone luckily with 24 7 us-based live customer service from discover everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime day or night yep you heard that right you can talk to a real human in customer service anytime sounds like a real game changer if you ask us make the right call and get the service you deserve with discover Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Now, as we said, last week was all trade deadline. AJ put on her GM hat and decided what the Islanders should be doing. And it was uh, effective, but nothing has happened yet in the real Islanders world as far as the trade deadline. That doesn't mean nothing is going to happen. It certainly seems like the Islanders do need something. As we pointed out in the first segment, they they had one impressive win kind of in the last couple of weeks since Anders Lee's been gone. Uh, and that was Saturday. Everything else, uh, they've, they had three other wins. Two of them were against the Devils, one in a shootout. And then last night's overtime win where they didn't really look as consistent as they could. And then they had two losses where they were kind of, uh, you know, there was Washington was a little bit lifeless. Uh, Philly was lifeless for two periods before they had that furious comeback last week. So it does seem to me, and I think you can look at the lineup that they put out the last couple of games, Leo Komarov on Matthew Barzal's left side, Michael Del Call with, with Brock Nelson and Josh Bailey. And I think you, you look at those lines that they had and really what you'd call technically the third and fourth lines with centered by Jean-Gabriel Pajot and Casey Sezikis were probably their best lines of the last few games. So that's not really sustainable, however. You need your top six to be your top six. You need guys like Barzot to be super effective. Um, and I think, you know, Barry Trotz is trying to maximize uh, what he has right now, which seems to be, uh, you know, there's a little bit of a hole there. And, and we, we talked on the trade deadline show about Anthony Beauvillier and whether you'd give him up for certain guys, like, you know, whether you trade him for a Philip Forsberg or, or a Sam Reinhardt or somebody like that. Uh, I don't necessarily know that's going to happen, and he had the OT winner last night. But uh, to me, these last few games have shown that, yes, uh, Lou Lamarillo was right when he says their trade deadline approach has changed because Anders Lee is out. There's there's a big hole in their lineup, and I don't know if they can fill it with an Anders Lee-type player, but they need to fill it with something because there's definitely something missing from their top six right now. You know, and yeah, I know, and I got a lot of feedback from people on Twitter about my <laughs> my comments about Anthony Beauvillier and, and rest assured Islanders fans, he is definitely one of my favorites. And, and you know, the locker room presence of these guys and the chemistry can't be underrated, especially on a Lou Lamorello managed team. Um, I think that he had obviously a huge win, I mean, excuse me, a huge game winning goal last night in overtime. But <clears throat> Beauvillier at, it will always be, maybe not always, has always been to this point, a streaky scorer. And so I think that the you look at somebody like him, he can come up with these big goals, but he generates energy. And I actually really like that line. I will call it the third line with Pajot and uh, Wallstrom. I think that that the way that the way Pajot works in the net front, the way Wallstrom can shoot from anywhere and be and have a dangerous shot from anywhere. Um, and then, and you've got Bavilia, his speed, the way that he pursues the puck and his puck retrieval. So I really like the makeup of that line. Um, you know, you talk about the top six. I I understand why they put Komarov on that top line. And I actually thought he had a great game last night. Um, he was back checking. A couple times I looked up and he was the last guy back. He was back retrieving the puck in the defensive zone. He was forechecking. He made a really good play in the third period. So he did a lot of good things. Obviously, it's not sustainable to have him on that top line. He is a fantastic utility player in the bottom six. Um, I know some people will disagree with me, but I can understand the value that Barry Trotz sees in a guy like Leo, Leo Komarov. That doesn't mean that he also, that his value may be a trade piece, right? I mean, he there, but there is some good there. I, I, it was interesting to hear Lou say 
that their timeline or their their uh, process has changed with Anders Lee out. We obviously all know that, but that was that's. I don't know if you felt this way. It felt uncharacteristic to hear Lou say that. It felt like he was really revealing something, which which I don't think he really was. But he just doesn't share that stuff with us. So you know, they now have cap space with Anders Lee on LTIR, and so what will who will they try to add? Somebody for that top line. There's no question. Somebody for that top six. They need to ignite. Um, and certainly Matt Barzell needs to get going. And he and he will. But it's been a couple games since he's had a goal. Um, and I think some of that is Anders Lee being gone. They had created incredible chemistry through this year. And Anders Lee was having such a phenomenal season um, that I think that that's it's shaken that line a little bit. But um, but overall, obviously, they're looking and filling a scoring role on that top line is going to be critical. Yeah, and you know, I like I said, we have a we have a uh, a trade proposal uh, piece coming out tomorrow called "Who Says No," and it's uh, it's very entertaining to put together and very entertaining to see all of the trade proposals that a lot of our readers sent in over two hundred of them, um, and a lot centered around some real hockey trades, guys like Philip Forsberg or Sam Reinhart or Ricard Raquel from Anaheim. And I generally get the sense as we get closer to the deadline and things have not really moved yet that. That a big hockey trade is not really what the Islanders have the stomach for right now. They have a very good team, even with Anders Lee out. Can they win in the playoffs? Uh, yes, they can. They need something there. But they have probably the best goaltending in, in the East Division right now. I don't think it's really up for debate that the amount of goals they've given up, games like Sorokin had last night, they definitely have the best one-two punch there. Even with Noah Dobson sideline on the COVID protocol list now for over a week, their D is still pretty solid. They have probably one of the better top pairs in, in the in the division. And they can still produce some offense, especially uh, with Oliver Wallstrom now in the lineup, who we'll get to uh, in our last segment. But um, So if you're looking purely at rentals, um, you know we've talked about Taylor Hall. We've talked about Kyle Palmieri. Um, there's some other guys that might sort of fall into the mix. I think Nick Foligno, we talked last week, is a guy who would fit well character-wise and probably as a as a you know a veteran presence left winger who can score. Columbus is back in the playoff chase. I'm not so sure that they're they're ready to sell yet. Um, so it's you know it, it is interesting and and you know the Sabers continue to to just sink to the bottom and they've had bad injuries now and they fired Ralph Kruger. Um, Taylor Hall just looks completely disinterested. Is that a guy you want to plug into your lineup right now at a, at a decent cost of assets? I don't know about that. It, uh, you know, I think some people would be skeptical of that. So um, when you see them play without Anders Lee now for a few games, is there a player that comes to mind in the league that you say in the short term, well, if they could acquire this guy somehow and plug him in, that might be the guy that, that at least gives them a, a Band-Aid solution to get through the rest of this season? You know, I mean, I'll, pretty much all the guys you just mentioned, I think, would be, and I do think with the exception of Taylor Hall, just because that's such a um, hot button right now in terms of, A, the way he's played, and just it, it does seem like such a mess in Buffalo. Um, side note, though, Don Granato is the interim head coach up there, and his team, his sister, Cami Granato, was a teammate of mine, so I have a soft spot for the Granato family, and I do wish... Donnie really uh, well behind the bench up there. And I hope that he can, he can start to right the ship, but um, it's, you know, for the amount of talent they have on that roster, uh, it's, it's crazy to me what has, what's happened up there. Um, so I don't, I don't know that I would want to touch anybody with a 10 foot pole of that, just, just based on the, the weighted or the weighty psychological side effects of all that. Um, some of the other people you mentioned, I mean, Raquel, I, I did an Anaheim game recently and I was impressed with him. I, I, 
uh, just based on like reading up and, and seeing what's going on in the West Division. Um, of course, I don't get to see a lot of those games when I'm not working them because they start at 10 or 1030 at night, um, which does not work with my <laughs> with my sleep schedule. Um, but, you know, I, I, Philip Forsberg is clearly a goal scorer. He's a big, strong presence, great hands. He had this incredible flip the other night. I don't know if people saw it. He put the puck up and over. Um, um, I think it was Haskinen even, one of the best defenders, and came in for a scoring opportunity. So, you know, the, I'm sure that Islanders fans would salivate thinking of him on the wing with Matt Barzell, who's such a good setup guy. I think the cost for him might be a little bit high. Um, and, you know, I, Nick Foligno, you mentioned him, and I think you said he was maybe one of your front runners for that. I, I think the character side of it, the grittiness too. I mean, Anders Lee, his missing him missing in the lineup is a is a physical presence. And it's he's so big, he's so strong, he's so good in front of the net that they do need to think about that too and think about putting somebody that can sort of take over that that position. So to answer, I mean, there's no one person that I'm thinking to myself, that's Lou's guy. That's who he should go after. I think there are a couple people and it just honestly depends on what goes on, how they they push those, push the chips around and and how they do their GM stuff. Speaking of the West, I'll throw out two names that I, I don't think we've really discussed a whole lot and I haven't discussed them much on our site just because I'm not so sure that they make a ton of sense uh, cap wise or uh, short term positionally. But two guys from the West, one a current captain and one a former captain, Ryan Getzlaff and Dustin Brown. Elliot Friedman, who uh, is as accurate as they come in terms of reporting, made sure to point out in his 31 thoughts, which is must read for anybody who cares about what's going on in the league, that it's just a guess for him because Lou Lamarillo does try to do stuff that nobody's going to try to nobody's going to figure out, or at the very least, he tells people if someone does let it loose, then it's not going to happen. Um, he thinks Dustin Brown could be an Islanders target. The, the hold up there, even though he's he's 36 and he's having a very good year and he's certainly been around and won a couple Stanley Cups, uh, is he has another year left at about 5.9 million dollar cap hit. That's going to be near impossible for the Islanders to fit in next season. So there's going to be a lot of gymnastics that would go with any acquisition of him. Ryan Getzlaff is a pending UFA. He's the face of the Anaheim Ducks for a long, long time, also a Stanley Cup champion. Um, and he bring, both those guys bring a lot of the intangibles that Barry Trotz loves. Could you see either of those guys in blue and orange? Um, well, I actually just did the LA Anaheim game and then I did the... Now you know. There you go. It's perfect. And, and I did the um, uh, LA... Who did they play uh, recently? The Vegas game on Sunday. So I have to say, I am really impressed with Dustin Brown, uh, just the way he's sort of resurrected his career. Um, in a lot of ways, he's changed the way that he plays and he's talked about it and he's had to evolve to stay relevant in this game. Um, one of my favorite side notes is that his kids, he was quoted as saying that his kids just don't think he's very good, which makes me <laughs> laugh. You know, former captain, as you mentioned, and he's, you know, he's got eight power play goals this year. And so I, I, I could, from a hockey standpoint, absolutely see Dustin Brown fit in really, really well um, over with the Islanders. The only, to me, LA is still in the hunt. I mean, they're in fifth place. They're just outside of the uh, of the playoff spot over in the West Division, so I I don't know how much of a, a sellers they're going to be. And talking to them, they really are believers that they're going to be able to crack that top ten and make the um, and make the playoffs. Anaheim, on the other hand, right now is in last, and I do think they'll be sellers. I don't know what Getzloff's contract looks like in terms of trading and all that stuff. I, I don't know if he said he wants to stay in Anaheim. He is a big presence. He's a phenomenal talent as well. I think he would be more likely. 
um, to come to be on the trading block in terms of where Anaheim is in the league and in their division. Uh, with that said, there's obviously a lot of, of gymnastics that they need to do based on what you just said. If they take them on now because they have the cap space, what do they do next year when they have, have Anders Lee back? And then you've got the Seattle expansion draft and you've got all these different things to think about even more this year than in past years. Um, but from a hockey perspective, oh man, either of those guys would just be, it would be incredible to see them in the blue and orange. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Well, we go from a couple of older guys to the Islanders' uh, youngest guy, I believe. Um, I haven't looked that up. I don't know if Oliver Wallstrom is younger than Noah Dobson, but if he's if he's not, I'm sure I'll get called out on it on Twitter. Um, but right now, Oliver Wallstrom really has. Uh, you know, he's electrified the Islanders offense. There's no other way to put it. You know, the the goal that he scored last night is a goal scorer's goal. It's a guy who is not flying by the net, who's not like, yeah, maybe I'll he it's a guy who's standing there. He looked like a hungry dog waiting for supper time. Like he was just hoping that puck would pop free. It did. He picked it up, stuffed it in the net. Um it's uh you know, it's impressive to watch him play in addition to how he carries himself. He just seems like, you know, and he had a, he had a wild week. Uh, he has another couple of goals, um, a couple of assists in the big six, one game, his, his first NHL fight, uh, Oscar Lindblom, who was not a guy you would think would drop the gloves, drop the gloves with Wallstrom when it was four, nothing, uh, on Saturday. And Wallstrom was a willing combatant and took him down. Um, so he's, he's had a lot uh, going on, a lot thrown at him. And, and I don't know that, Anybody could have seen this year coming for him after a 10-goal season in the AHL last year. The year before that, he leaves college, which was not a decision the Islanders were supportive of really in any way, but he still did it. Um, it you know, This is a trajectory that I don't think has been seen a lot before with a, with a guy who was better at the NHL level than I think he was at the minor league or even the amateur level. Yeah, you know, and it's interesting because when we did our podcast in January, you know, the season started January 13th and started talking about these guys. There was all this question about who was going to be in the lineup. We had Bellows, we had Wallstrom, and then we saw Austin Zarnick for a little bit. You know, all these different people that were sort of, they were trying to figure out who was going to be on the wings for J.G. Pajot. Um, in in Wallstrom's first 10 games that he did dress, he had one goal. So, you know, I thought, okay, he's coming into his own. It's been amazing. Since February 22nd, he leads the team in points. He's got 13 points, and uh, eight of them are goals. And, um, for you look at a guy like that, he's on a four game point streak. Like he's just so relaxed out there offensively. One stat that stands out to me from last night though, is when I was watching to me, he would get the puck and he would shoot it. You, you talk about yeah. him being a goal scorer. Like he's sitting there on his the goal that he scored. Isn't sort of what we're used to seeing from him. Right. Cause he's got that wicked release and it, such a good shot. He only had one shot on goal last night on goal. So to me, what that shows is that he's taking a tremendous amount of shots last night, for whatever reason, he wasn't able to hit his target. He was either, it was blocked or missing the net or whatnot. That just surprised me because in my mind, I just thought he was shooting the puck. I saw him shoot a lot. Now they didn't get a tremendous amount of shots on net anyway, uh, just as a team. Uh, they had only 19 for the whole game. 
when I heard his post-game press conference and he was talking about Sorokin and he was talking about how he's finding his confidence and he's coming, you know, learning how to play in the NHL. And it just struck me. I thought these are the things that people were saying about Oliver Wallstrom like three weeks ago, right? Not that long ago that people were saying he's starting to find his confidence. And the fact that he's able to recognize that in one of his other rookie teammates, I think says a lot about him and his development and his he's sort of got a, a wisdom about him right now that he's just going out there and he trusted the process through those first couple games when he wasn't scoring goals. Barry Trotz was telling him just, you know, do your thing and talk to Pajot. And we we've referenced that before. They sit on the bench and Pajot's helped him with he had one block shot last night, right? So he sits on the bench with Pajot and sort of learns about the defensive side of the game. But his offensive upside is huge. And I want to also discuss something that uh while I was watching the game on MSG last night, uh, I think it's the second time that their cameras, when they've been on him on the bench and either Butchie uh, is kind of waxing poetic about what a good season he's having. I think it happened in Jersey a couple of weeks ago. He's sitting there singing along to whatever song is playing in the, on the PA system on the bench, you know, bopping his head back and forth. It's not something we're used to seeing from an Islander player, much less an NHL player. And I did ask Barry about it uh, post game last night, and he laughed and he said, "I love it. You know, this is a, this is a young guy. The the moment's not getting him. He's loose." Um, Barry did admit he couldn't hear him, so he doesn't know how good a singer he is. But um, when you see that, you know, and you've played on a lot of high level teams, AJ, um, when you have a teammate, whether it's a young guy, an old guy, who's a little bit different, a little bit out there, you know, kind of doing his own his or her own thing. Does it help the group? Uh, does it hurt the group? Does it matter at all? Um, it helps the group. I mean, I think that's the beauty of a team. Any team that I've been on, any successful team that I've been on has had every different type of personality. And then you all appreciate each other's differences and the similarities you have is your goal, right? So as a team, they come together and and their goal is to win every hockey game, score whatever it may be, go in, win the Stanley Cup, that they've got short-term and long-term goals as a team and individually they have goals. So that's what unifies them. But what makes it interesting is everybody's differences and the fact that they can be a little quirky. And and when you're on a team, a little less maybe in quarantine or excuse me, during COVID times where they can't have their team bonding quite as much. So the times they are together or at the arena or practices um, and they can't go out to dinners and their road trips, even when they're on the road, they're, they're in their hotel rooms. They're not allowed to do anything. So, you know, all of that is a little bit, it was a lot of it challenging. Um, but I think when you have a team that has these differences, it, it gives the team character. It gives the team layers. And 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 obviously in, the, in conjunction with that, if it's a successful team, it means they accept each other's differences and quirkiness. And and Barry Trotz is a perfect coach for that. I think he loves that. And you see, and by the way, you see the looseness. You've got a 20-year-old kid. I mean, for those, I don't know how old our listeners are by and large, but he was born in 2000. He was born in the year 2000. So he's a young kid and he's out there in this huge stage and he's able to sing along to the music and bop his head and then go out and score a huge goal. So, you know, there's really not a lot to dislike about that. <laughs> um, I was going to ask you for an example of a teammate without calling anybody out from your from your playing past but uh maybe we'll think about that for next week but, what if uh, i'm the quirky one what if i maybe i was the so what, would, one. what would you have been singing on the bench i think is the question there oh uh, that's a good well you know for anybody actually you know i guess it's mostly in our rehearsals when we when we rehearse now shannon and i sing all the time and all we ever hear is butchie telling us not to sing so <laughs> i will i will refrain from doing that on this podcast um and if anybody 
is old enough to have remembered us winning the gold medal. Us singing the national anthem was horrifically bad, but it was so much joy that you can't help but appreciate it. So I would have been singing along in the bench. I would have been bopping whatever was playing in the arena. Uh, but yeah, no, we had some, we had some awesome, amazing teammates and everybody had their own differences in, in the, in a great way. Well, it's obviously working for the Islanders too. So thanks AJ for uh, another good week of breaking down what's going on with the Islanders. Always a my pleasure. I love it. And always good to catch up with you, Arthur. And thanks, everybody, for listening. This is No Sleep Till Belmont. Make sure to, when you're listening on your favorite platform, to uh, subscribe, leave a, leave a review. Uh, we need all the, uh, the feedback we can get. So hopefully keep listening. And we'll be back next week. No Sleep Till Belmont, your Islanders podcast from The Athletic. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody.